turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We took our little, uh, our little time off there for a few minutes last week to talk in Romans about missions, but we're back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. We're picking up in the middle of chapter 3. I'm actually going to read the passage first this time, and then we'll go back and kind of put it in sequence, remind you of what Paul's talking about and where he's going. But he's, he's continuing to make this argument about how grace, the gospel, it's not a partnership between us and God. It's just God. So follow along with me, if you will. I'm in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 13 through verses 22. Brothers and sisters, let me take, as an, take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, and that is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one person, but God is one. In the law, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Clear as mud, huh? So, remember, remember where we're going, because we took a week off. The very first couple verses of this letter, when Paul introduces himself, he introduces himself as an apostle, a messenger. And he says, I have a message from God. And it, it's a good message. It's a gospel. It's good news. It's that Jesus has died for us, and Jesus has been resurrected for us. And so Jesus has dealt with our separation from God, with our sin, and Jesus has conquered death, that we don't need to fear death. It didn't hold him, it won't hold us. That's the message Paul gives. And that's just the first couple verses of this letter. And then in the next couple verses, it's, it's chapter one, verses six through nine, he berates the Galatians saying, why have you stopped believing this? Like, why do you suddenly think that the gospel is a partnership? Hey, great news. If you will do these things, then this will happen. It's like, that's not what I taught you, and that's wrong. And since that time, from, verse, from chapter 1, verse 9, all the way on through here, Paul is making arguments for why that is true. So at first, he gives examples from his own life of how that has worked out, how he was doing the wrong things, and God came to him and saved him. It wasn't that he did the right things and God said, oh, okay, you fulfilled your side of the bargain, now I'll fulfill mine. He was doing it wrong and God saved him. He's given an example from other people's lives. He's asked them about your, their lives. He's like, look, what happened to you? Right? Were you going along doing everything right? And then God said, oh, well, gosh, I guess I'll save him. He's like, no, you know you were going in the wrong direction. God turns you in the right direction. He's made arguments from scripture. It's like, hey, you're right. The scriptures say, obey this and live. They also say, if you don't obey it, you're going to die. Now, you know, if you, you can't take one and not the other, you don't get to cherry pick. He's argued from the scriptures. And now he begins this saying, okay, let's take an example from everyday life. 
How do things work in the world? He's going to talk about agreements between people. How do things work between people in the world? Doesn't it make sense that the same thing would be going on with God, that it's not something totally different? Now, I just want to like step outside of what Paul's saying here for a second and comment on how much I appreciate this about the Apostle Paul. There's people in the church who are arguing, oh, no, no, you need to obey. Oh, faith in Jesus, absolutely. That's something you do. Now here's these other things you do. And if you do them all, you'll be okay. And the Apostle Paul never says to them, oh, you just need to believe. You just need to have faith. You just need to trust me. You won't understand this. Just trust me when I say this. He never says to them, you just need to believe me. You just need to have faith. He argues with them. In fact, remember what he calls them. We translate it foolish, but but the word means you're not using your mind. He calls them the unthinking Galatians. There's every year, a Barna or Pew or one of these research groups does the state of religion in America. So they, they call I don't know, thousands of people and ask them all these different questions, and, and then they produce this report every year. Um, and so it came out a few months ago, and, and I've been listening to a podcast with a guy talking about it. And one of the most disturbing, disappointing, I don't know what the adjective is, thing I heard was they were asking people who now are, they're, they're nuns, they have no religion. They were asked, ask him, well, if you had grown up in the church, like if, if you grew up in the church and now you're a nun, why? What happened? Right? What went from believing to not believing? And for many of them, one of the things they cited was, I couldn't ask questions in the church. I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I could ask questions in my class and university, but I couldn't ask questions in the church. And I thought, oh, wow, we are not doing this right. This, this is the place to ask question. Paul never says to them, oh, that's a stupid question. Paul tells them, think. Think about what's going on. Think about your life. Think about these examples. Let's look at the scriptures together. He never says to them, oh, don't don't ask that. Just believe me. He argues with them. This should be a place where we are free to say, wow, I don't get that. Because man, there's lots of stuff in here I don't get. You ask me about lots of questions, my answer is going to be, oh, I don't know. That's the truth. But I do know enough to know this is true. I do know enough to understand what I believe and why. Parents, if your kids come to you and ask you a question about the faith that you don't know, say, I don't know, that's a great question. And then go research it with them. Or send send them to me. I'll take your kids out for a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. I'll take you out for a cup of coffee and talk about it. You can talk to your kids. Like, Christianity has the best answers for what's going on. Why does the world look the way it looks? Why do people act the way they act? Like, like all of cosmopology, astronomy, physics, it all thinks at this point that there was a certain place and time when the universe began. Everything we see in the heavens points to a, an, a, a moment and a particular place where the universe began. Do you know what religion states that the universe began at a particular moment? Christianity! <laughs> God said, let there be light. Hinduism doesn't think that. Buddhism doesn't think that. Shintoism doesn't. They all think the universe goes on forever. Christianity has the best answers to why the world is so beautiful and so messed up at the same time. This should be a place where we can ask questions. Because, wow, the Apostle Paul, he is more than happy to argue with you Not tell you, oh, no, don't think that. You can't say that. We don't talk about that here. Oh, we absolutely talk about that here. 
This is the place we talk about those things. Boy, do not be afraid to ask questions. In the history book I read for my church history class in seminary, the guy was talking about just the incredibly rapid spread of the church in the first couple centuries AD. And he said, basically, the reason is that the Christians had way better answers to life than the pagans did. The pagans had myriads of gods doing all sorts of crazy stuff, and the whole world was just, you never knew what was going to happen. And the Christians come along, and they're like, uh, no, that's not the way it works. There's this, look, look at this, and look at this, and look at this, and look at this. That Christianity had way better answers to life than their belief in the Greek gods, or their belief in the Persian gods, or the sun god, or anything like that. This, this is the place to ask questions. So let's walk through Paul's argument. Let's walk through, because you've heard me say this before. These guys, they don't structure arguments the way they structure. They leave out things that we think are important. They put in things where like, why is that in there? They know things we don't know. Like there's all sorts of things going on. Paul says, let's take an everyday example. And the example he's using is agreements between people, covenants. You know, they, they don't have a, a, a legal system like we do that makes contracts and enforcement and all that sort of stuff. They don't have a police department and civil, so, uh, civil courts that handle those things. They make what are called covenants. Covenants are binding promises. But that's what they are, they're, they're promises. And there's two kinds of covenants, and he talks about both of them in here. There's covenants that are, we, call, we call them unilateral covenants, which means I make you a promise, period, end of discussion, right? Hey, Jeff, you know, uh, Tim says to me, hey, Jeff, can you get that stuff to me by Thursday afternoon so I can have it in the next issue of In the Loop? And I say, I'll email it to you Thursday by lunchtime, right? That, that's a promise. I've just made him a promise. It has nothing to do with him. There's no if on there. There's no, well, Tim, do this, do that. It's just, yes, I will do that. It, it is a one-directional promise. And then there are two-directional covenants, bilateral covenants, we call them, where the two parties both promise if. If you do this, I will do that. If I do this, you will do that. And if you don't keep up your side, then I don't have to keep up my side. It's not a binding promise unless you do what you have agreed to. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying God made a promise to Abraham, and it was one directional. It was a promise. God said to Abraham, I will do this for you. Specifically, we'll talk about it in a second, Abraham said, I don't have any kids. I'm, I'm gonna, you've given me all this blessing, and I'm going I'm to leave it to my servants. And God says, no, you will absolutely have children. Remember, he and his wife are in their 70s at this point. They're well past childbearing age. That Absolutely, you will have children. In fact, says, look up. You see those stars? You will have more descendants than there are stars in the heavens. So, and, and scripture says Abraham believed him. He, he believed that, and that is a significant moment in history. God made a promise. He didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, I'll make you a deal. If you do this and this and this and this, I will give you descendants. He just said, I will do this. It's going to happen. It doesn't depend on you. God makes a promise, a one-way covenant. It's just him. And then Paul says, 400 years later, God makes a two-way covenant with Abraham's descendants. He, make, he has the law. He says, okay, I'll make you a deal. If you will do these things, I will do these things. If you will follow me, I will lead you into the land. If you will obey these laws, I will drive all the nations out in front of you. If your children will obey these laws, 
I will make sure no one invades them later, right? It's two ways. If you do this, I will do that. But if you don't do this, then I'm not doing that. And that is ultimately what happened to the Israelites. They didn't keep their end of the bargain and God took away the land that he had given them. The Assyrians come in and remove the northern part of the kingdom and then 100 years later, the Babylonians come along and take away the rest of them in the south. It was a a two-way agreement. If, and Paul says, okay, so let's think about this. God made a promise, a one-way promise to Abraham that he would do something. And in fact, he said, that promise was Jesus. That's why scripture says the promise is about your descendant, singular, not your descendants. Now he promised things about the descendants as well. He's talking about one particular thing God said to him, your descendant, this one thing, this one guy who's gonna one day be one of your descendants. God made him this promise, nothing Abraham had to do. Paul says, okay, let's think about that. Does it matter that God made another agreement with Abraham's descendants 400 years later? Does that somehow mean he's not going to keep his first promise? Like, does that, does that change the promise? Is that true in real life? Imagine, you know, Tim, Tim Beard has two grandkids, okay? And he and Cindy watch them on certain days. So don't ask Tim to do something on Friday because Friday is Baba Day. And he's hanging out with, he's Baba hanging out with his grandkids. Imagine Tim comes to me one day and says, oh, Jeff, I need help. I've double booked myself. I'm I'm supposed to, you know, take the grandkids to this play date or whatever on Friday. And I've promised this church planner, da-da-da-da-da. Could you take my grandkids and watch them and bring them home? And I say, oh, sure, of course, absolutely, right? That's a promise. That's a one-way promise. I didn't say, sure, Tim, if. Well, What's it worth? You know, what's it worth to you? Make it worth my while. There's no if. I just promised him, yes, I'll do that. On Friday, I will take your kids. Now imagine Tim's children, the grandparents' parents, the, the, the grandkids' parents, come to me like, oh, you like kids. Uh, uh, you know, my dad was saying that you're going to watch the kids for him on Friday. Could we hire you to babysit Thursday evening as well? Because we're, we're going out of town. We need a babysitter for that evening. We'll pay you such and such, and you come at this time and all. And I say, oh, absolutely, sure, I'll be happy to do that. Do I now go back to Tim and say, oh, sorry, can't watch your kids on Friday because, you know, they're paying me and you're not. You know, I've made this agreement with your kids. So, like, no, I would be breaking my promise if I said that to him. We all understand that. If I made a promise and then later I make an agreement with somebody else, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm out of the promise. I don't have to do that. Paul says to him, think, this is the way the world works. God made a promise to Abraham in 2000 BC that he would do these things. Why are you listening to people who say, oh yeah, but look, see, it's by direct, no, no, no. You have to do it, look at the law. You do this and God does this and you do this and God do this. Paul's like, sure, but what does that have to do with anything with Abraham? God made a promise to Abraham about Jesus. In fact, he says, The law was given until Jesus would come. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this next week, so just hold that off in your mind somewhere. Um, The law was given through angels. It was entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one person, but God is one. Thanks, Paul. Very helpful. What he means is when you have two people making an agreement with each other, you often need somebody in the middle. We do that all the time today. We get lawyers involved, we have intermediaries, we have, we, we have to have other people to make sure we both keep our side of the bargain. 
When you have agreements where both sides agree to do something, you often have to bring other people in. But if, I, if you just make a promise, then it's a promise. It's on you. End of discussion. Paul says, look, the law, that the law was an agreement between God and the people. So sure, you had to have Moses as an intermediary. The people couldn't go up on the mountain. Moses went up on the mountain. You had to have Aaron as an intermediary. The people couldn't make their own sacrifices. Aaron had to make the sacrifices for him. You needed angels. You needed an angel to go before them when they went into the land. You needed the angel of the Lord to come and talk to them. God gives Moses all these laws. You had to have all these other people involved to keep the two sides of that agreement going. He said, but when God made a promise to Abraham, it's just a promise. Boom, that's all there is. If the law could impart life, then righteousness would come from the law. But see, and again, we'll get into this much more later. What he's gonna say is the point of the law is to show you that, wow, you do not want an agreement with God. You do not want a relationship with God where I do this and God does that, and I do this and God does that, because you won't do it. Like, that's the reality. God gave us, look, here's 400 and some odd things. You do these, you're good. You and I, were good. And how many people here today can say, oh, yeah, since I got up this morning, I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength every moment. I have loved my neighbor as myself every moment. I can't even say that for the last 30 minutes, much less all the things that are in this law. Paul is going to tell us in detail next week. The point of the law is to show you, you don't want to live under that system. That doesn't work. What you want is to live under what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, there's this when, when God made that promise to Abraham, it's in Genesis chapter 15. It's an incredibly important chapter in the Bible. God says to Abraham, that whole thing, no, you'll have more descendants or stars, guys. You're gonna have this one particular descendant. Abraham believes God. And then Abraham says what we all would say. Oh God, how in the world? <laughs> How's this gonna work? I mean, how can I possibly believe this? He believes it. He believes God. And then he says to God, How? How am I going to know this is true, Lord? Don't we wrestle with that all the time? Yes, I believe. How in the world am I going to know this is true? And God says to him, get a bunch of animals and cut them up and set them on on two sides of a path. Now, anyone reading Genesis back in that day, you know exactly what's going to happen because it's a covenant. Remember, they don't have legal codes and all. They have covenants. When you're making a really serious covenant, I mean two kings are making a treaty with each other, or this is important. Right, this is serious. You take an animal, you cut it in half, and the two of you walk through the halves of the animal together. And you make vows. I promise to do this, or I will become like this animal. May I be cut in half and my pieces scattered if I do not keep my promise. It's one of the ways you show you're sincere. And they did it all over the ancient world. Like, if you're living in this time and you read that, God said to Abraham, Oh, cut an animal, separate them. You know exactly what's going to happen. God is going to somehow come down, and he and Abraham are going to walk through the pieces together. You see, God's promise is going to become two-way. It's going to be God and Abraham. They're going to walk through, and God's going to say, Abraham, I will make your children more than the sand on the seashore, if. Because they're going to walk through together, and Abraham has to do something. It's going to become an agreement between two parties, not a promise. 
And that evening, this blazing fire pot shows up. And the, the, this, this torch, these symbols of fire show up. And they go alone through the animals. Abraham doesn't do it. Just the torch, God. God walks between the animals alone and says, no, for sure that I will do this. Because the next part of that sentence is, or may I be like these animals. May I be cut into pieces and my body strewn across the plain. And he doesn't make Abraham walk with him. It's not an agreement. It's not Abraham, you do this and I'll do this. It's a promise, Paul says. That's what God did with Abraham in 2000 BC. And he's saying to these guys, why? Why are you listening to people who take this little chunk of time up and say, oh no, this is the way you need to do it. That's not how God deals with people. God doesn't deal with people on the basis of if you do this, then I'll do this. God deals with people on the basis of promises. He makes promises. That's what he did with Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham basically said, yeah, prove it. I believe it, but how can I know? And so God did what you would do in that day to prove your sincerity, and he required nothing of Abraham. It was a promise. I'm going to do this, Abraham. Know for sure. I'm, whatever you do, whatever happens, and wow, Abraham messes up massively in the next chapters of Genesis. Whatever you do, I promise, I am going to do this. But it is so easy to do what the Galatians are doing, to slip back in to God being transactional. Oh, this is how we live. I do this, and God does this. I obey this, and God responds this way. Brothers and sisters, that was not true in 2000 AD. It was not true in, the, in 30 AD or 50 AD or whenever Paul's writing this. And it's not true today. That is not how God deals with us. God deals with us on promises. I promise. I will do that. Now, because he's promised, there's things that we should do. So imagine you say to me, Oh, Jeff, I'm in trouble. I got to get these documents signed by tomorrow or, or these bad things. I, I forgot all about it. I didn't do this. I need somebody, blah, blah. And I say to you, oh, hey, no, listen, I'm a pastor. We have superpowers. I, listen, I will meet you at the courthouse at three o'clock, okay? And I'll bring my little pastor card and all those things, right? And everything will be taken care of. It'll all get signed. It'll all be done. You just, you meet me at three o'clock and we'll take care of all of it. That's a promise, right? It, it, nothing, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to show up at that courthouse at 3 o'clock to solve your problem. So it behooves you to show up at the courthouse at 3 o'clock. If you don't show up at the courthouse at 3 o'clock, your problem's not going to get solved. But I'm still going to be there. It's not an agreement. It's not, if you will show up at 3 o'clock, then I will come and solve your problem. Because then we'd need intermediaries. And we'd need, you know, angel means messenger. We need messengers. I'd need somebody to be there to tell me, yep, they are there, all right, they showed up and to send me the message and then I would come. We'd need to involve all these other parties. It's a promise. I will be at the courthouse at three o'clock. 
I have promised it. It will happen. It doesn't matter whether you show up or not. I will be there. But if you don't show up, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get the good that's being offered. That's how God deals with us. He does not say, well, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. He says, I'm going to do this. You should show up. You should come along. I want to read you, like just to make sure, in case you don't believe me. This is how God deals with us, right? I'm just going to read a bunch of passages of Scripture. This is from 2 Peter chapter 1. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that by them you may participate in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Did you hear all those past tenses? God has given us. He's already done it. God called us. It's already done. God has given us these things. It's already done. What do we do? We show up. You've already got it. Peter doesn't say, listen, if you will flee the evil desires of the world, then God will give you what you need. He says, God has given you everything you need. So now flee the evil desires. You have what you need. Flee. Here's, here's um, Paul in Philippians. God will supply every need you have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's no ifs in that statement. It's just a promise. That's how God deals with people. Here's Paul in Romans. You probably know this one, Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, there's no if. God will do this. Here's the writer of Hebrews. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. God has promised things. He's, he's done things. He doesn't say the way we so often think about it. Hey, hang on tightly, and then God will give you what he's promised. He says God's going to give you what he's promised. He's going to do what he said. He never lies. He never changes. He made a promise. It's going to happen. So hang on. You already have it. So show up and get the good stuff. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians for these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond anything you can comprehend. There's no if. There's no endure. If you will endure, you will have something good. It's no, God's doing it. It's happening. It's a promise. Here's Peter again from 1 Peter. Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, again, you hear the past tense, it's already done. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, an inheritance kept in heaven for you. You already have it. It's there. It's a promise. It's going to happen. But we so often slip back in, just like the Galatians are doing, to the very comfortable sense of, I'll do this, and then God will do this. We, we turn God into a, a soda machine, right? I want a Diet Coke, so I'll put in, it's $1.50, and it's D7, and, and out it comes. God has given you everything you need. God will give you anything else that you happen to need along the way. God will work everything out 
and I mean everything, and that's some pretty awful stuff in this world, somehow he will maneuver all of that for good because he's promised, not because you did it right. Go read Abraham's story. Wow, he does not do it right on several occasions. But he still absolutely gets what God promised because God promised. We don't live with a God who is transactional. We don't live with a God who says, okay, I'll make you a deal. If you can be good, if you can keep the rules, if you can do all the things that I've required, then, then I'll bless you. We have a God who says, I have blessed you. I've given you everything you need. Now, go. Go do what you're supposed to do. Go live like you're supposed to live because I'm not taking it back. I'm not removing it. You, you have an inheritance which is never going to go away. It is waiting for you. You can't mess it up. Can you imagine? I mean, think about if we really lived like that. You can't mess it up. It's not possible. God has given you everything that you need. You cannot mess it up. Can you make mistakes and do it wrong? Oh, absolutely. Every single stinking day. Can't ruin it. Can't mess it up. Can't be taken away. It's a promise. Just like the law, the agreement God made with the Jews. He still kept his promise to Abraham. He absolutely did what he said for Abraham. Paul says to these guys, don't live like that. This isn't good. It's not good news that if you live right, you'll get the good stuff. Because as he'll show us in the next week, you're not going to live right. If what you want is a relationship with God where I do this and God does that, you are going to be really disappointed because you don't do this. Hardly ever. You're hardly ever good. You know it. God knows it. Let's stop fooling ourselves. That's what the law tells us. You're not good. But we have a God who has showered us with promises and grace and goodness. And yes, oh my gosh, the world is messed up. Oh my goodness, terrible things happen to everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. But he will redeem everything. He will absolutely redeem everything. He has promised. He has never broken a promise in his existence. And that's a, that's, that goes back to before time began. He will absolutely do everything that he has said. You cannot mess it up. You cannot lose it. Don't be like the Galatians. Don't think, oh, right, I got to do all these things and then God will bless me. No, God has blessed you. You are blessed. You are loved. You are saved if you're a follower of Christ. You have it. Now go do all those things because you can and you can't mess it up. Don't fall back into the way that the Galatians are starting to think. I got to do this so God will love me. I got to do this so God will accept me. I got to do this so I can be blessed. You don't. You're loved. You're blessed. It's already happened. It's in the past tense. Now, now go and do it. <laughs> now go show up at the courthouse at three o'clock and get the good stuff because you know God will be there. He's promised. Now go and obey. Live a life of obedience because you know Every time you mess up, Jesus has taken care of that. 
he promised. You have an eternal inheritance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I confess. I preach this and I struggle to believe it. I know this is true. I, I totally get what Paul is saying. He is 100% right. I mean, this is how things work. In our world, you make a promise. Then I don't have to do anything to get that promise. If somebody promises something to me, then I, it's on them to do. It's not on me. You, you went through those animals yourself. You required nothing of Abraham to make your promise. He simply believed you. Thank you. Lord, you know this is hard for us. You know so much of life is transactional. Do this and, and, and get that. You know how hard it is for us to, to live with you. Like, that's not true. I don't have to do things to get stuff from you. You are good and you are gracious. Scripture says you long. You long to be gracious to people. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us. We so struggle to live like that. It is so easy to be the Galatians and to slip back into thinking that this is a partnership and I have to hold up my end. And if I don't do my part, then you're not going to do your part. Because that's the way agreements between two parties work. And we forget that our salvation is not an agreement. It's a promise. It's a promise you made. And you went through the animals alone. And you did not require it of us. Thank you. That's so gracious of you. I mean, that, that, that's crazy that you would just save us and love us and bless us and turn us loose. And I know many of your followers have abused that. I know I've abused that at times. Thank you. Thank you that you are like that, that that is how you dealt with Abraham 4,000 years ago. And you are no different today. You still are generous and gracious and kind. You still make promises. You still bless people and then turn around and tell them to obey. You don't tell them to obey or else no blessing for you. Thank you. That is so, so gracious of you. Help us, Lord. Boy, help us to remember that. Help us to live like that. Help us to live like we can't mess this up. There's nothing we could do that would make you stop loving us or stop blessing us because you have promised it has nothing to do with us. Oh, that's so hard for us to grasp, Lord. Be gracious to us. Now, as we, as we take communion, as we remind ourselves that, that you have done this, you, you, you did it thousands of years ago, help us to remember, Lord. Burn it into our brains and our minds and our hearts that, that this is who you are. This is what you're like. That we move out into the world in confidence and in joy because you have done all this and now we just walk it out. We just show up at the courthouse at three o'clock and get all the good stuff. Help us, Lord, you know. You know how much we need help in this. So we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, let's do just what I prayed. Let's remind ourselves. We, we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember that Jesus did this for us before we were born. That, that, that Jesus has already done these things for us. If, if you are a Christian, then this is a reminder every week that this wasn't me. That this bread that represents the broken body of Christ. Jesus didn't come to me and say, okay, I'll be crucified if you'll do this. He just died for us. 
The, the, the cup reminds us. Jesus didn't shed his blood with an agreement. Okay, if you do this, Jeff, then I'll shed my blood. He just died for us. He just came back from the dead for us. We remind ourselves each week. We practice what's known as open communion at Dunwoody Community Church. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a Christian. This is a reminder for believers, and Scripture says it is only for believers. So if you're not a Christian, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, then please just stay in your seats. Nobody will think any different from you. But if you are not a follower of Jesus and you want to be, you've said, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me, then ask him. He can hear you. Just tell him in your mind, yeah, I believe that. I believe you did that for me. And then come and take communion with all the rest of us because we're all in the exact same boat that we mess it up all the time and Jesus has already died for us and he has already taken care of it. So I'm gonna pray for us again. When I finish praying, just there's four tables for each, in, or for, or each of the four corners and then there's gluten-free down here at this table. So, uh, you know, pick your table Go get the elements. Don't, don't eat them there. Take them back to your seat, and we'll, I'll lead us in taking them together. So pray with me again. Thank you, Lord. That's what we always say here at this point. Thank you. You did not have to do this. You died for us before we did anything for you. In fact, Scripture says you died for us while we were your enemies. When we hated you, you loved us. And when we were your enemies, you died for us. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, we do exactly what you told us to do. We gather and we do this ceremony to remember that it is you who have done this. It is a promise, a promise that you made long before we were born. Thank you. We pray in your name, Jesus, always in your name. Amen.